And tonight we're going to begin a six-week study on the book of Ephesians. And I've stated before that the book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books, and yet, you know, every book is my favorite book when I'm reading it and studying it because it's all the Word of the Lord and it's God talking to us. But it's it's a six chapters. I, I mean, it's, it's a very small book, um, but it's packed with revelation of the gospel, revelation of what Jesus did for us. And that's what it's all about. We, we want to find out what the Lord is telling us through the Apostle Paul as he begins to reveal some things that God showed him. And he got a lot of this revelation when he got converted on the road to Damascus. And then he, he left for three and a half years into the Arabian desert. And there, in that desert experience, God began to reveal the truths of the gospel, the revelation that even some of the disciples that walked with Jesus didn't get till after Paul got back and began to reveal it to them. And they began to see what the Lord said. But let's take a look at where the church at Ephesus was located. The church of Ephesus was one of the most important cities in Western Asian Minor, and it's now the place where Turkey is, the country of Turkey. And it had a harbor that at one time opened up into the Castor River, which in turn emptied into the Aegean Sea because it was also an intersection of major trade routes where people uh, brought in all of their goods and everything. But also, it, it was also known as a idolatrous city because there they had a pagan temple dedicated to the Roman goddess uh, Diana. Now, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, and he began to talk to the Christians there in, the, in that particular city. Now, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter, by the way. He was in this prison when he wrote the letter to the Philippians. Uh, he was in prison in Rome. He was, uh, he was over in Rome, and he was in prison, a prisoner at that time. But he wrote these letters to them. And so what happens is now that... Uh, Ephesus has become a center for the gospel to be preached. It's a place where people are beginning to let the power of God be revealed and God's anointing be revealed and some things are happening. And uh, it's mentioned oft times in the Bible uh, over in um, the book of Acts, the 19th chapter, the 23rd through the 31st verse. Uh, there arose a great commotion about the way for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who had made silver shrines of Diana, uh, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the work, workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see it here not only at Ephesus but throughout almost all Asia. This Paul, talk about Paul the Apostle. Now, you know, isn't it amazing? <laughs> One man can disrupt what the devil's doing. It, it, listen, there's power in the power of one. And uh, if we could ever get a hold of the fact that the power of God in your life can change the situation, the area, your family, whatever the problem might be, that just the power of one can see something happen. And this is what this man is saying here. He said, you hear that this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not God's which are made with hands. Well, Paul was just preaching the gospel of the Lord. So not only is this trade of ours in danger 
of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificent magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worships. Now, this is amazing. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we could just all be in one big Christian community where everybody loved the Lord, there was nothing to oppose the gospel, nothing to oppose what the Lord was doing, and yet here Paul, God sent him right in the middle of all these things. And uh, uh, and because of that, things happened, and the devil got upset, and the devil got mad through the people that he was using. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the, of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized uh, Gaius and Aristarchus and Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. But Paul made Ephesus a center for evangelism for about three years. The church of Ephesus was started right there in the middle of all of that demonic activity. Now I want to tell you something. The power of God in just two or three people can change a whole region. And this is what the Lord is wanting us to see is, is what's happened in this particular place where Paul wrote this letter to the, uh, to the Ephesians. And then it's also mentioned over in Revelation, the second chapter. Evidently, um, they needed uh, a warning from John the Apostle. You know, he was on the Isle of Patmos, and God gave him this vision and this revelation that he received of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said to the angel of the church of Ephesus in Revelations, the second chapter, he said to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, uh, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampsteads, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have been, you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have not found, and have found them liars, and you have persevered, and have patience, and have labored in my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, how I many know sometimes one conjunction can make a difference in what the Lord is saying to us? He's praising them. John the Revelator is praising them, but he said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You've left your first love. And remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstead from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you, uh, have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So we see that Ephesus was a center of demonic activity, devil worship, worshiping a, a goddess, and the people were upset because their livelihood was being disturbed because of what Paul was preaching. Uh, you know, I've heard reports in reading about the old-time revivalists here in our own country, in America, that... Uh, there was sections of New York and sections of these bigger cities where these evangelists would go in and they'd start preaching. Alcoholics were getting delivered and saved, going home to their families, and the, the, the beer joints were being shut down because of a revival. 
See, the power of God can just be in a few people, and God can change lives of many people. And this is what Paul is sharing with us here. But, you know, the book of Ephesians, it's only six chapters. It's a mere 155 verses. Now, you could sit down in one sitting in about 20 or 30 minutes and probably read the whole book of Ephesians. Now, if you want to study it, you have to kind of take a little more time and study into it. But... Uh, you know, the rich, the wisdom of God that's packed into these six chapters gives us what we need as believers to walk in the things of God. Watchman Nee made a statement one time on the book of Ephesians. He called it, Sit, Walk, and Stand. Because there's three things that we have to learn to do before we can ever do really major warfare. Number one, we've got to learn how to rest in what God's already done for us. God has already made the provisions for us. God has already taken care of the enemy on our behalf. The devil is under, well, he's destroyed. I mean, the power of Satan is destroyed as far as you and I and the believers are. Somebody said, well, yeah, but I see the works of the devil. But don't magnify the devil. I think there's too much magnification of the devil and his works and say, well, boy, the devil's been after me all day long. I had, <laughs> growing up in Pentecostalism, you know, I, there was one lady got up and testified one night. She said, the devil's been after me all day long, bless his holy name. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I'm sure she didn't mean it that way, but uh, it just came out that way. <laughs> bless his, we don't want to bless the name of the devil, and we don't want to magnify the devil. We, we don't want to give the devil an inch. He'll take a mile. And what we have to do is understand that Satan is destroyed. We need to learn to rest in what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. He defeated the enemy. He took care of the devil. He stripped him of everything that he had. And he disarmed, in Colossians says, he disarmed the enemy. The devil, listen, we as believers, we, we let we let the... I don't know, we let the rattle of the chain that the devil does against us sometimes uh, put fear in our hearts. But really, when you realize it, you got more power than the devil. It's through Jesus Christ. We have more power than he's got. And we don't want to emphasize the works of the devil. I, I don't want to talk about what the devil done. God sent me to take care of a church one time for, I thought it was going to be for a short period. It ended up being almost four years but this church was literally in trouble. I mean, I'm talking about doctrinally wise. <laughs> uh, every time people came to church, they had to be have devils cast off of them. Because they went to the grocery store, the devils jumped on them. Or they went to, uh, to the drugstore, the devils jumped on them. Or they went to the school to pick up their kids, and the devil jumped on them. I mean, every time they come to church, it was having the devil cast out of them every time they came. You know, the Lord sent me there. I said, okay, God, you sent me. I see what my assignment is now. And so I just begin to preach on who we are in Christ, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, uh, the defeat of the devil, the power of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus, and, and the eternal defeat of the devil. He's defeated as far as I'm there. Listen, there's no, he has no power whatsoever. Now, listen, he'll pop his head up. He'll try every way in the world to hinder the things of God. But when you rest in the redemptive work of the Lord and you rest in what He has already accomplished for you, Jesus Christ, then the devil's no match for that because he's nothing but a liar. 
and he's the father of all liars. And Jesus gave us exact instructions on what to do. Whatever you bind is bound. Whatever you loose is loosed. Praise God. Lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. Cast out devils. Praise God. And I, I mean, and so for, I just begin to preach on the righteousness of God. I begin to preach on who we are in Christ. I begin to preach. And you know what happened? Those people got set free. They got set free. I had an attorney that, uh, uh, you, you know, an attorney that was uh, uh, there. And, and listen, they, they, they were well learned. But I said some of the stuff that they had was not good. <laughs> it wasn't good. So thank God. You know, we, we just need to let the power of the Lord bring us to the place. Ephesus, we need to learn how to sit. And then we need to learn how to walk in the things of God. We need to learn how to walk in love. We need to learn how to walk in peace. We need to learn how to walk in forgiveness. We need to learn how to walk as Christ walked and, and walk in this earth. And then the final thing is we need to learn how to stand against the powers of darkness. Isn't it amazing that God put the standing against the powers of darkness last? First of all, we've got to rest in what Jesus has done for us. It's accomplished. It's done. It's paid for. He's done it all. And then we learn how to walk in this victory and walk with our brothers and sisters in the Lord and walk with other people around the world in Christianity and begin to walk as a great army of God, then we're able to do warfare and come against the powers of darkness the way God wants us to. But, you know, the book of Ephesians is wonderful. It's, I call it the Grand Canyon of Scriptures. It's the Holy of Holies that Paul wrote about. And... Uh, uh, it, it, this is one of the of God's highest and best. Now, as we begin to get into what the Lord is saying, you, uh, the, the Bible says all believers in the book. You know, he re, he refers to the believers in this book as saints, as saints. Now, what's the first thing that comes to our mind when we think of a saint? <laughs> Lily White. <laughs> Never do anything wrong. Saints. That, that, that's what, that's what, isn't that what you, isn't that what the terminology, when you hear the word saint, you think of someone that is saintly or godly, uh, good, uh, full of love, full of joy, full of peace. That's what we think. But the, the references to, uh, the, to the Christians and to the church, they're referred to as saints. Now, they're referred to as saints because this is a position given to them by virtue of being in Christ. See, we're not a saint on our own. Now, there's a lot of people preaching today. There's a lot of preaching going on out in the world that we need to do good works. Yes, we do need to do good works, but doing good works doesn't save you. Doing good works doesn't make you the saint that God's called us to be. We have to do good works because we are Christians. You know, the Bible said in one place over in the book of Acts, they were first called Christians in Antioch. They were first called Christians, Christians, Christ-like. And they were called Christians because they acted like Christ. They talked like Christ. They thought like Christ. And they were called Christians first in Antioch. Listen, I want people to be able to come into our church and say, those are Christians. I don't want to say, well, those are good Baptists or good Pentecostals or good... No, Christians. We're Christians. 
We're Christ-like. We have understood what Jesus did for us, and we're receiving what He did for us, and we're portraying that to others. And so I want them to see that we're good Christians. Amen? On your jobs or amongst your relatives and amongst your friends, you know, they should say, that's a good Christian man. That's a good Christian woman. That's a good Christian child in high school, you know, because they're raised up in the things of the Lord. But we're, we're referred to as saints because of that. Being faithful. Now, we're saints of God because of what Jesus did for us, but being faithful is something that we choose. See, a lot of people are not faithful. And when I say faithful, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm talking about faithful to the Word. Faithful to living for God. Faithful to moving the way God wants you to move and and talk like God wants you to talk and act like God wants you to talk and being faithful in what God tells you to do. But it's the, the being faithful is something that we choose. Did you know God can't make you faithful? It would be nice if we could just lay hands on everybody that comes through here and just lay hands on them and say, you're faithful. No, they have to choose to be faithful. We choose to be faithful to the Word. We choose to be obedient to the Word. And let me, I'm going to get down to something here, and we'll get into this later on in, in the teaching, but we choose to forgive. I've heard people say, well, I forgive you because God tells me I have to. I just, so I have to. I, I forgive you. Well, no, they're not forgiving. Because when you choose to forgive, you're going to let all of the bygones be bygones when you choose to forgive. And God's calling us to forgive and walk in the faithfulness of God. And what it does, it brings great glory to God. But not all saints are faithful. Now listen, there's churches that are packed. And I thank God that they're packed. I want to see our church totally packed and overflowing. But you see, the thing is this. Not all saints are faithful. You can have 300 people packed in here, and not all of them are faithful. You can still have things happening that's not godly and not right, because not everybody is faithful. Praise God. Now, you know... I have to, you know, I, I'm, I'm an honest person. I try to be honest with everybody, and and uh, uh, I, I try to be open. And if someone comes to me and I know that they're not living a lifestyle according to the Word of God, and they're wanting something from God, I'm going to tell them, you know, I can pray for you, but what are you going to do when you walk out the door? It's like one preacher one time, this lady had a broken leg. And back then, she liked to go to the dance halls and just dance up a storm, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, what are you going to do? Uh, this was back, I, I actually heard this, this was back when those tent revivals were going, big meetings and, and events. He said, what are you going to do if, when God heals you? Well, I'm going to go to the dance hall. <laughs> he said, well, go on, I'm not going to pray for you. <laughs> in other words, he wasn't going to participate. in so, But not all saints are faithful, amen? And the first three chapters of Ephesians are about our relationship with God through Jesus and what that means to us. Uh, They deal with God's unconditional love. You know, God loves us in spite of who we are and what we are. God loves us 
just like we are. <laughs> he loves us in the position we're in. But he doesn't love the sin that's in our life. I'm not going to tell somebody God loves you just like you are. No, God loves you, but he wants you to become like he is. He wants to change us and change our lifestyle. So it's an unconditional love, and this is what it means to be in Christ. And we're going to get into this in the study here. Uh, now, the last three chapters, they deal more with what our behavior should be or should not be in, in believers in Christ. In other words, it talks about how we should walk with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But it's important to have a solid foundation of who we are. Too often, we place the emphasis in our own lives upon the application of this principle uh, to some single detail of our behavior, of our work for Him. In other words, too often we, we're saying, God, look at me. <laughs> I've done this for you. I've done this for you. And often we fail. We just fail. We, we, we don't stand up to the standards of God, and we fail. Because we have to realize it's not us, but we're in Christ. And when we're in Christ, then we're going to be faithful to what the Lord tells us to do, and God's going to take care of us. Amen? But I want to look at some. Let's, let's get over to the book of Ephesians now. And I want you to go to the first chapter. And Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. And we're going to read, begin reading with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, Paul was de declaring to those that he was writing to, I am an apostle of the Lord, and this is by the will of God that I'm writing this to you. And he's, a, he's, a, he's an apostle because of the will of God. God called him. To, did you know the other disciples probably wouldn't have called him <laughs> because they were afraid of him? I mean, after all, he was there holding the coats for the men when they stoned Stephen. And then he had letters in his pocket to go persecute the rest of the church. And that's when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and knocked him off his horse. He got blinded, and the Lord gave him instructions on what he had to do. And he went to Ananias, and Ananias was already told what he needed to do when this man came to the door. And he said, you lay hands on him, that he'll receive his sight and receive the Holy Ghost, because I've called him of God. And you're going to have to declare to him the great things he must suffer for my name's sake. The one that was causing all the suffering was going to have to go through the same type of suffering for persecution and in persecution because of what he had done also. But Paul was an apostle by the will of God. I'm sure, listen, he went to Jerusalem after his conversion, but they didn't receive him too well. Now, you know, that'd be kind of like uh, somebody out here that had just hung Christians and hung them up uh, in the in the city square, you know, and they let everybody see him hanging there and dangling there and dying there. And then all of a sudden this man comes into the church, I'm saved. You know, we'd probably have the same reaction. You know, are you really saved? Are you here to get us? Is this some trick you're doing? Or are you here to really to show us what God's done in your life? But Paul didn't, he didn't have that good reception from these men. And the Bible said the Lord led him into the Arabian desert for three and a half years. He was out there all alone with the Lord. And God gave him this revelation of what we call the gospel of the cross and what Jesus really accomplished for us. 
And Paul began to share this with the churches that he established. And he began to share it. So he was by the will of God to the saints who were at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you in peace from God our Father and, our, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in God. Blessed be the God and Father who has blessed us. Now, you're going to notice as Paul writes in many of his writings, he always puts what Jesus did in past tense. He has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him and in love, having predestinated us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the Beloved in whom we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. And that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. and Him also we have uh, 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 obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? Hallelujah. Now, these first 14 verses, when you, when you look in the original Greek that they were written in, this is, there is no ending to it. It's just one big sentence coming down. And, and they're writing about what, what Paul is wanting us to see here. It's, God measures everything from start to finish. You know what? When you started your, your, your walk with the Lord, God already sees the beginning and the ending. He knows where you're going to end up. He knows what He's already designed for us. That God has a specific plan and specific will for every individual. And when they accept the Lord and what He's done, the Lord already sees it from here to there. He knows everything about us. Praise God. And so, as we begin to see what He's telling us here, uh, it's God's unconditional love, but God sees everything from start to finish. He knows where we're going to end up. He knows our motives. He sees us clean through. Praise God. He knows everything about us. So, the Scripture clearly affirms that it's God's good pleasure to sum up all things in Christ. It's in Him, in whom also we were made a heritage, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, 
which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of our times he might gather together in one all things in himself, uh, uh, in Christ, both which are in heaven and who, which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. Everybody say, I have obtained an inheritance. And being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, we're believers. Paul's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers here. And what he's saying is we're chosen. We're chosen of God. That ought to make you feel special right there. God chose you. He didn't choose me because I... Uh, He didn't choose Chuck because he's better looking than me. And he might be, but that's not the reason he chose Chuck. He chose us because he he chose us because he has a purpose for us. And there's a will for us. And so we've got to understand we're the chosen of the Lord. If we could just get one, one thought down in our spirit tonight from this teaching, we're chosen... And He is the one that chose us. And He hath chosen us, picked out for Himself a people to be His peculiar possession. He's chosen us to be His peculiar possession. And us, the saints of Ephesians. So, the saints of God. Listen, nobody's... Nobody's more important than another person. And this is what Paul is wanting us to see here in the writings that he's doing. Um, it's in him. You're going to see these, these words in him throughout the book of Ephesians and throughout not just here, but also in many of the Pauline epistles in the Bible. And it is before the foundation of the world. Now, let's... We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about this word predestination because it's not that we look at people and we say, well, they can't be saved because they're, they're not predestined to be saved. No. Everybody in this world is predestined to be saved. See? But what, what that word predestined means is when the devil, when Lucifer rose up against the Lord and tried to dethrone him in heaven and take over, pride, that was the, pride's the original sin, by the way. And uh, and pride, he, he exalted himself. And at that moment, at that moment, God's plan went into action. God's plan went into action. From that very moment that the devil, Lucifer, had rose up against him, and he took two-thirds of the angels with him. Or third. Was it a third? Two-thirds. <laughs> One-third, one-third, one-third. Two-thirds were left. Thank God for that. (laughs) But one-third, one-third followed him, knowing, knowing. This is a sad thing. Knowing that there was no hope for them. There was no hope for them. He was cast out of heaven. Jesus himself made the statement, I beheld Satan falling as lightning from heaven. Why? Because Jesus was there. The Holy Spirit was there. God was there. And he said, I beheld him as lightning falling from heaven to the earth. 
Now, when he came to the earth, he still did not have the power. It still takes a person saying, I give up to the devil and let the devil operate. Adam and Eve were created to live eternally forever. Never to die. And to live forever. That was the plan of God. And the devil thwarted that plan through deceit. And you know what he did? (laughs) The same thing that he fell with, pride. He came in and tempted in the same manner because he said, listen, either this tree. Oh, no, God told us not to. (laughs) Hey, the reason God don't want you to, you'll be just like God. See, he was working on that pride in them. But you see, the thing is, they were just like God. They were made in the image of God. Everything about them was like God. And so... They already, listen, a man that named every animal, every bird, every bug, everything that's in this earth, he had to be like God, amen, to name everything that was in this earth. But the devil worked on that same pride that he fell with in their hearts to get them to fall. But we're predestined. Look at what Ephesians, the first chapter and the fifth verse says having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, that word predestined, I I know, listen, through Bible college and different things, you get into the different teachings that's in the world, and you you study in what's what's being said, what's being taught. There's people that literally believe there's some people predestined not to be saved. They believe that. And... I always ask them this, if you feel like that people are predestined not to be saved, why even preach the gospel? Because they're predestined to be saved because the Lord's predestined them to be saved. And so why would we even preach the gospel if if that's what we believe? Well, I don't believe that. I don't believe that people are are predestined not to get saved, and some are and some aren't. No, we're all predestined for the things of the Lord. But the word predestined, the definition of it literally means to mark out the boundaries beforehand. See, God has already marked the boundaries for our life beforehand. And He's already predestined us to what He's wanting to do in our life. And it's all about choice. See, it's all about choice. When you look into the book of Ephesians, it's going to be all about choice. We choose Christ. I remember when you first got saved. The Spirit of God moved. Conviction was there in the service. That conviction wasn't, hopefully it wasn't somebody preaching just hellfire and damnation to you and beating you on the head and putting, putting, listen, I don't want people to get saved out of fear. I want them to get saved out of love. Love for what Jesus did for them. Love for the fact that He took all of the suffering in His body so that we don't have to. God, God's love, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I, I don't want people to be serving God out of fear. Listen, remember when 9-11 hit? Churches filled up all over this nation. Churches filled up. But you know what? It didn't take too long, and they emptied out again. Because the fear was gone. And they were there from fear. Listen, 
I'm not serving God. Because, now let me use it in the right way here. (laughs) I I don't want to go to hell. Amen? But we know what hell is like because Jesus taught what it was like. Remember the rich man that went to hell? And in hell he lifted up his eyes and he said, Lord, could you not send Lazarus down here uh, to, my, to my brother's house and, and to, uh, to tell them that so they won't come to this place? And, and, or, or let him just come dip his, water, uh, his finger in, a, in water and put it on the tip of my tongue? No, it, there was no way it could happen. There was a great gulf between them. But I don't want people serving God from fear. Hell's real. I think we need to preach it real. I mean, we need to, we need to let people know exactly what it's like. We, we need to let them know this is what's going to happen. But I want people to be saved because they have love for God. Love because Jesus loved us enough to give His life so that we could have eternal life. And we're going to serve Him from the love of God. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean we won't preach on hell. That doesn't mean we won't talk about hell. That doesn't mean we won't mention hell. Because I think it's part of the gospel and part of the word that we need to... But I don't want to just pound on people with it. You're going to go to hell! No. Let's say, you know, let's turn it over to the Lord. Let God take all this junk out of you. He loved you. He paid the price. So you could become a new creature in Christ Jesus. And heaven is real. Praise God. This earth is not our home. And I, and I think more and more the church of the living God and those that's in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the church of the living God and those that are serving the Lord with all their heart, there's something inside them that says, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's something, there's something tugging. We're going to get out of here. It, you know, the, the trump of God's going to sound one day. Amen? And we're, we're going to get out because the Lord has said that. It's in the Word. And, and we know what the Word says. And I think there's a homesickness that's in the hearts of God's people to go home. I tell you what, don't weep over those that's lived their long life on this earth and they go home to be with the Lord. They're in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Their struggles are over with. But, and they, they, have, they have done what God's called them to do. They have served the Lord with all their heart. So heaven's real. Hell's real. But it's all about choice. God created man. So God's predestined man, those who choose him, they have all the blessings that he's prepared. What did he say in, what did Paul say in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9? But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor even entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. i tell you what, God's got some big things for us. Amen? Now, the prodigal son. He made the choice to rise up. After he made the choice to leave home, he made the choice to rise up and go home. He made that choice. He chose to go home. He said, I'll just go home and tell my father, I'll just be a servant. I, I, I mean, the servants have got more than what i got out here. And he said, but you know what? His father was waiting on him, and he came and kissed him at the gate and just fell on him and kissed him, and they walked back to the house, and he became, he was not a, a a prodigal son just coming home. He was a son coming home. And he was reinstated into the family. He had the signet ring put on his finger so that he had the authority to do things in the, in the household there. God, I know he spent all of his money in riotous living. He spent it all. 
I mean, he didn't have nothing left. But you know what? When he came home and he repented and he asked God to forgive him, he was placed right back in the same position as a son. Uh, he was a son. He wasn't some stranger coming in. He was a son, and he had all the rights as the other son. Now, the real prodigal was the older son. You know, he got upset because he killed a padded calf and had a big party, and he said, hey, Dad, I've been here, and I didn't do what the old junior did. He went out and spent all the money he had, and everybody, they stole it from him, and, and then he didn't have nothing. Look where he ended up out there in the pig pen, you know. And, and he said, and you never did throw a party for me. Or kill a fatty calf. You know what his daddy's told him? He looked at him and said, Son, all I have is yours. All I have belongs to you. All you had to do was say, Dad, I want a party. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so he said, This my son was dead. He's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And we're going to celebrate. Hallelujah. So we, listen, <laughs> predestination is God uh, marking out the boundaries beforehand. See, the prodigal son, even though he is living in boundaries outside, God had already marked his boundaries as a son. And he came home and began to enjoy what God had for him. But, you know, it's, it's uh, Joshua proclaimed this promise. You remember Joshua twenty four fifteen? he said, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And what I'm pointing out here is predestination. See, if if it's if if God's already got it all figured out, who can who's going to be saved and all of this, and He knows all these things, but He still leaves the choice to us. The choice is ours. But Joshua said, "Choose this day whom you'll serve, whether it be God or the other gods." So we have to make a choice. Choose life. And, and, and proclaim it. Uh, we, we've been, look at, uh, we've been, the, the, the adoption of children. We have the adoption of children today. How many, how many glad you're adopted in the family of God? You know, I've got three adopted, no, two, two adopted grandchildren. One grandchild that my daughter and her husband had. My daughter, we adopted her when she was two days old. And she is as much ours as it was our flesh and blood. God gave her to us. <laughs> and my daughter, what was amazing, the, her hair was the same color as my wife's hair. All of these things, it, it, it looked like we were just, that, that she was actually just born to us. They'd go to the store, and, and she'd be about three or four, you know, and they'd say, you look just like your mama. Stacy would look up and say, can I tell them, mama? <laughs> and she'd say, sure. She said, I'm adopted. <laughs> she was proud of it. But she did look like us. And you know what happened? She took on our attributes. She, she took on the way we were. And the way we reacted to things, it was the same thing in her because she was raised with us, and that's the way it is. We got two grandchildren uh, that are adopted. One's from China, one's from Ethiopia. And uh, I tell you what, we love all of them. We got one that was theirs, and she's just as, I mean, so.
serving God, wanting to serve God, and do all that God wants her to do. Little Emily's from China, and she's going on mission trips. And and, uh, and little little uh, Addie Addison is uh, from Ethiopia, and uh, she she hasn't known nothing but America, you know, since she was ten months old. And she's she just she's what? Uh, how old is she now? Eight, eight years old. And uh, so I mean, you know, but you know what? They're part of the family. They're, they, they've, they've been adopted into the family of God. And this is what the Lord wants us to understand about what we have, what's happened to us. We've been a, adopted into the family of God. In the family of God. We're, we're adopted. We're, we're His children. Praise God. I'm as glad you're the child of God today. And we've been accepted. Accepted to the praise of the glory of His grace in verse 6 of Ephesians 1. To the praise of the glory of His grace wherein He has made us accepted. Accepted, accepted in the beloved. We're accepted. We're accepted. Praise God. I, you know, Brother Chalk, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm accepted. I'm accepted in the family of God. I have as much right to what God has to offer anybody in the church because I'm accepted in the family of God. We've been adopted in. We're accepted in the family of God. And He's made us accepted and we're in the beloved. Hallelujah. God is it's through His grace. It's through His grace. Number one, we're chosen and we're loved. It's through the grace of God. It's through the riches of His grace that we've been predestined to the things of God and loved as sons. And it's through the exceeding riches of His grace that we're accepted and loved as the Son is loved. We're accepted by God and that, that's ours. And then Ephesians 1 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We have, we've been redeemed, we've been purchased, we've been bought. How many's ever had to pawn anything uh, in a pawn shop when you was growing up or uh, in your teens or whatever, you know? I, I think I, I did. I've, I've done that before. And, and uh, you know, but the thing is, you go in there with that little ticket and you give them the money and you buy it back. With more money than you got, of course. <laughs> but you, you purchase it back. The world was lost to the devil. But Jesus came and redeemed us back to the Father. He's purchased us. We're the possession of God tonight. Can you say amen? I'll tell you what, uh, when, when we begin to understand who we are in Christ... And then the Ephesians verses 7 through 9, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself. So we've been enlightened. We know, we see what God's done in our lives. We, we have that revelation knowledge of who we are in Christ. And all of this is ours. And then we've obtained an inheritance. Look at uh, verse 11 in uh, chapter 1. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who, wrote, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. We have obtained that inheritance that belongs to us tonight. Praise God. And then, finally, we've been sealed. We've been sealed. Look at verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, who were sealed with the Holy Spirit at, uh, of promise, who, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Listen, the Holy Spirit's important. 
We have received the Holy Spirit. At salvation, our spirit man is, we're permeated by the Spirit of God. And then we're in, we have an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Ghost is alive on the inside of us. The power of God. That dunamis power of God. That's alive on the inside of us. And it's through that that we're sealed. Waiting till the redemption. Waiting for that redemption. Listen, there's something going to happen one day when the trump of God sounds, and that spirit within us is going to do something. There's, there's something that's going to happen, and we're going to be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. And that's what the Bible says. I can't explain how it's going to happen. All I know is it's going to happen. Praise God. And this body's going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I get excited about what Paul, he, he saw something in, in the Word here. And because of this, we have the, we're secured. We're secured. See, this earnest guarantees. The Holy Spirit in us guarantees that we're going to make it. Hallelujah. And so we're, we have that security until the redemption, uh, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. One day it's going to happen. I know speakers that we've heard for thousands of years. You know, it's been hundreds of years. We've heard about that. It isn't happening yet. Well, you know, from the time of creation till the flood was 2,000 years. From the flood to the day that Jesus was born in the manger, or he came, he wasn't born, but he came in the form of flesh through the babe in that manger was 2,000 years. And you know what we're, we're, we're headed up on now? We're already probably past it, but we don't know exactly the timing of everything, but we're right on the verge of that third 2,000 years where the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Hallelujah. And we're going to, I'll tell you what, I believe this is the generation that's going to see the fulfillment of what the Lord has wanted to do. But listen, we just need to understand that this book of Ephesians, is explaining to us, number one, in this first chapter, it's explaining to us who we are, who we are in Christ, who Christ is, the power of Christ, the power of God. And, and we begin to see what He's done in our life. And as we begin to understand this, we, you know, when I, when I was a teenager, the book of, I'd read the book of Ephesians over and over and over and over. <laughs> because there were just some things in it that just excited my spirit, man, even as a child all the way up. Because we are somebody in Christ. And we have been redeemed, purchased, bought. Holy Spirit's that guarantee that's inside of us. And we're, we, we, we are predestined because of what Jesus did and the plan of God from way back in the beginning. We're predestined for the blessings that God has for us. When I say blessings, I'm not talking about the financial prosperity blessings. Yes, I believe we will prosper. I believe God will bless us. God will supply all of our needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But I'm not going to preach a prosperity gospel and try to get people in church because they're going to get rich. (laughs) Because one day we're not going to take it with us anyway. Everything we have is going to be burned according to the Word. 
So I don't, I don't want to. I had one young man come into my church, and he, he, he heard us preaching, God will bless you a hundredfold in this lifetime, you know. And, and uh, he came to me at the end of the year, and he said, I've been coming a year, Brother Clarence. I want a refund on all my tithing offerings. I thought he was joking. I laughed. <laughs> I said, you're kidding, aren't you? No. He wasn't kidding. He had his mother with him, too. I said, oh. I said, why? He said, because you said I'd be blessed a hundredfold. I said, uh, yeah, I remember saying that. Uh, he said, but it hadn't happened. It's been a year and I hadn't been blessed. I've been giving tithes and offerings and I hadn't been blessed. I said, is that the reason you're giving? Just so that you'd be blessed a hundredfold? Or are you giving because you love God? Well, I love the Lord, but I, but you said I'd be. I said no. Well, look, let me ask you this one. I said, are you planning on checking out anytime soon? He said, what do you mean checking out? I said, are you planning on dying? He said, well, no. I'm only 28 years old. I said, well, I said if you if you if you go back, I said I've taped everything we preached, and I said if you go back, you'll see where I said he'll bless you a hundredfold in this lifetime. So if your life isn't over yet, your lifetime's not over with yet. And I said, God could do it next year. He could do it 10 years from now. He could do it 30 years from now. But you know what you got to do? Just be faithful. Faithful to God. God will take care of you. God will always see that you have more than enough. And He will bless you a hundredfold in this lifetime. If, if you lay down everything, if you put everything aside and put Him first in your life. Well, he didn't take that too good. <laughs> and there's a lot of people today that wouldn't take that too good because they want to be able to give $1,000 and get 100000 tomorrow, you know. But listen, that's not what it's about. We're talking about eternal things. We're talking about the blessings of God. Listen, I don't worry about my food. God always provides. And if we're obedient to God, God will take care of us. And if we're in the will of God, God will take care of us. But you know what? What I want to see is I want peace, joy, happiness, and just just knowing that my daily bread is taken care of every day. Amen? I'll be happy. I'll be excited because I'm not going to be hungry till tomorrow anyway. <laughs> Hallelujah. But listen, God's Word is truth. But this first chapter lays out the fact of what He did for us. He's predestined us. We're saints of God. I was preaching this one time and I told him, I said, just call me St. Clarence. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're saints. We're saints of the Lord. That's what, that's what Paul said in Ephesians. We're, we're saints of God. And we have the right to believe everything that God says. And we are predestined to have the blessings of God. See, preordained. God's already preordained that everybody that accepts what He's done, it's yours. He's your Father, and we're His children. And so we're predestined for the things of the Lord in our life. Tonight, you know, just getting started on this book, and we'll probably go back and recap some of these things as we go along. But listen, we are somebody in Christ. He's redeemed us. He's purchased us with His blood. And we're going to find out, number one, we've got to rest in this fact 
This is the first position of a believer. Sit. Sit. Have you ever have you ever heard so? You, uh, I, I've seen people go on a job. They want to be the foreman the next day. You know. But they got to sit first, <laughs> and they, they got to do the little jobs first. And uh, I, I had I had one couple come in one time. I can pastor this church, brother Clarence. I can. I said, No, you can't. Well, well, yeah, I can. I said, No, you can't. I said, Number one, you got to be called to be a pastor. I said, It's a call of God. And I said, Not just anybody can come in and say, I'm a pastor, or I'm this, or I'm that. I said, and, and then number two, you've got to be able to come in and prove that you can sit. Sit, learn, and be available <laughs> to what God's called us to do. And then God will do the promoting. You know how many believe God does the promoting? It's not man that does it anyway. It's God that does the promotion. And, you know, so listen, we're somebody in the Lord. This book of Ephesians is going to get exciting because we're going to we're going to we're, we're just getting in tonight on who we are and what God's done, and then we're going to learn how to walk in the things of the Lord, and then we're going to be able to do warfare at the end. Hallelujah, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth, and Father, we just thank you that we can receive what your word declares. We're redeemed, we're purchased, we're bought with a price. And because of what you've done for us, we have the right, the legal right, to believe and accept everything that the Bible says is ours. And we receive it in the name of Jesus. And devil, we serve notice on you now that we understand who we are in Christ, and therefore you're not going to have any authority in our life from this day forth. Because we just announced to you today, Jesus is Lord. And we receive everything that he has in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And everybody said amen. Praise God. God bless you. See you all next Sunday.